You know, it is almost always a blessing to have a father-in-law who is also a Bible college professor. Almost always. And then the time that uh, I'm going to pronounce a Greek word in a communion meditation, and I know he's the only one in the audience that knows that it was wrong. So it's Eucharisteo, if I'm not mistaken, but I do know it. I, do, I know you were judging me. Anyways. <laughs> in reality, he almost certainly was not, but you know, you know how that goes. Thankfulness is a funny thing. Because if we're not careful, then we'll fall into the trap of believing that thankfulness is a feeling we have when we get the things we want. We'll think that thankfulness comes from receiving. I remember uh, a day when I learned what thankfulness was actually about. I had just become a Christian. I was 18 years old, and I was on a campus ministry retreat. And we were in, me and, and two other people were in this kind of small room with air mattresses. And something had happened with uh, the air conditioner that evening, and so it didn't run in our room, and we sweat and sweat and sweat. But we couldn't leave because just outside of the door was the, the women's sleeping area. So we were, we were locked in until we were supposed to be up. Not actually locked, but we weren't supposed to go out. And so we're sweating. And then at some point in the middle of the night, almost certainly because I did something wrong when blowing it up, my air mattress began to deflate. So I spent the evening in this like weird contorted position on this, this deflating air mattress, dripping sweat, absolutely miserable. And I felt the need to pontificate about that to, uh, to my, my roommates uh, as we were kind of packing everything up that morning. And as I was pontificating, I realized that Gretchen Magruder had entered the room behind me and was calmly listening. Now, let me tell you about Gretchen and her husband, Todd. Todd and Gretchen were the campus ministers at the University of Illinois in Springfield. Todd was brilliant. He was just brilliant. And just before I had arrived at the, the UIS uh, campus ministry, Todd had suffered an injury to his brain. And so at the point that I met him, Todd was not able to remember more than a very short period of time. So he would introduce himself multiple times to people, even in the same conversation. He was no longer able to preach because he couldn't even read a script because he'd forget what sentences he'd already given. And we found out that this came actually with personality changes as well. It wasn't just that he wasn't able to remember. It's that he really behaved as a different person. And so Gretchen Magruder, who was caring for her husband, doing most of the ministry, and raising their three children, was standing behind me listening to me complain about a lumpy air mattress and no air conditioning for one night. And I, I turned around and I saw that she was standing there and I stopped. It was one of those times when you're complaining and then you realize you're in the presence of someone you really shouldn't be complaining in the presence of. And we got to talking about, about complaining, which was just this dagger that was twisting in my heart. She brought it up kindly, but she was, she was honest. And then she said, Clayton, thankfulness is about remembering to praise God for the things that we have. It's not about 
wanting things and getting them. It's not about wanting things to go a certain way and for them to go that way. She said, thankfulness is about remembering to praise God for what we have. I left that room very, very humbled by her. But I think that that's absolutely true. I think that's what thankfulness is. It's about remembering to praise God for what we have. And that leads us to our summary this morning. Our sermon summary is this. When the Lord blesses, his people celebrate. When the Lord blesses, his people celebrate. Today we're talking about the Festival of Weeks. The Festival of Weeks was one of the Jewish holy days. It was seen as the conclusion of Passover celebrations, and it was unique for a few reasons. It was at the end of the wheat harvest, and that was not the end of their overall harvest season, but it was a transition moment. And as a result of that, while the other harvest celebrations lasted a week each, the Festival of Weeks lasted only one day, and everyone was called to take part. So I want to read about this with you. Uh, Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 23. We're going to read from verses 15 to 21. Leviticus chapter 23, verses 15 to 21. Leviticus chapter 23. From the day after the Sabbath, the day you brought the sheaf of the wave of offering, count off seven full weeks. Count off 50 days up to the day after the seventh Sabbath, and then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. From wherever you live, bring two loaves made of two-tenths of an ephah of the finest flour, baked with yeast, as a wave offering of first fruits to the Lord. Present with this bread seven male lambs, each a year old and without defect, one young bull and two rams. They will be a burnt offering to the Lord, together with their grain offerings and drink offerings, a food offering, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. Then sacrifice one male goat for a sin offering and two lambs, each a year old for a fellowship offering. The priest is to wave the two lambs before the Lord as a wave offering, together with the bread of the first fruits. They are a sacred offering to the Lord for the priest. On that same day, you are to proclaim a sacred assembly and do no regular work. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come wherever you live. Now, I think that the Festival of Weeks must have been a very interesting thing to celebrate, in part because I would love to know what it looks like for priests to wave lambs in front of the Lord. Not exactly sure how that worked, but the the idea was a response of thankfulness to the Lord for what he had provided. So there's, there's a couple of things that I want to point out with the Festival of Weeks. This, this celebration, this Thanksgiving festival that they had in the middle of their harvest season. When God's people praised him for abundant blessings. Three things I want to point out. The first one is this. That with, with the festivals that they celebrated, work and celebration did not go together. Work and celebration don't go together. Can I get an amen? Now, aside from the convenient excuse this would be for all of us to look for reasons to celebrate, hey, this is Flag Day. I shouldn't have to work on Flag Day. Aside from the convenient excuse it could be, there's something profound happening here. Verse 21, they said, On that same day you're to proclaim a sacred assembly and do no regular work. 
It's to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come wherever you live. God gave them this command to help them remember that it was his care and his provision that reached into every area of their life. The fundamental reason that they had food to eat wasn't because of their own labor. It was by the grace of God. They stopped working when they celebrated as a reminder that their work wasn't the reason they had something to celebrate. It was the Lord. It did not depend on them. It depended on him. When they celebrated, they didn't work as a reminder of God's grace. The second part of the Festival of Weeks that I think is interesting is this. It's it's verse 22. We didn't read it, but they were blessed to be a blessing. You can follow in your Bible or listen to Leviticus 23, 22. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and for the foreigner residing among you. I am the Lord your God. Way back in Genesis chapter 12, verse 2, the Lord tells Abraham that he is blessed to be a blessing. And his children grew up knowing that they were as well. The people of God, the children of Abraham, always knew that they were blessed to be a blessing. They were called to be a light to the Gentiles, to point the world toward the God who created and loved them. So this command to to leave a blessing for the poor, for the foreigner, for those in need, was a reminder of their calling. It was a reminder of their mission. God's provision was out of love, but he had also called them to be a light to the world. So when they were remembering his provision, when they were remembering his grace, when they were remembering the gifts that he had given them, they were also remembering their call to care for and love their neighbor. And the third thing about this festival is this. It was a time to celebrate the first fruits. Commands to bring the first fruits before the Lord run throughout the harvest celebrations in the Old Testament. They were full of them. And the first fruits are a beginning. They're the first of many that are brought. The first, the first wheat, the first grain is brought to the Lord. And it's celebrated not just because it's good, but because it's a promise of what's to come. The bread is brought to the Lord in the festival of weeks as a, as a first fruits offering, as a celebration of the bread, but also a celebration of what's still to come. They were blessed already, but it wasn't all there yet. It was a promise of much, much more to come. So I want you to hold these three things in mind because they're going to be important as we connect the festival of weeks to Pentecost, and I do believe that they're very, very connected. So they were not to work because they relied on God's grace. They were blessed to be a blessing, and they celebrated the first fruits. Now, the Festival of Weeks was the end of their Passover celebration, kind of of marked the end of that time in the Old Testament. And when you hold that in mind, you can see that God is doing something really amazing here. There's something that that a good author, when you're reading a book, will do. 
when something important is going to happen, after it happens, you'll look back and you'll see often that it was foreshadowed, that you should have seen it coming, or that you can see it clearly in retrospect. Or the events will inform one another. Because you read what happened earlier, you better understand what's happening now. Now, the Bible isn't a novel in that it isn't fiction, but God is the author of history and is perfectly capable of weaving history together in the way that a novelist can weave a story. I remember the first time that I saw this happening in Scripture. I was, I was much younger. I was reading on a Sunday afternoon after church. We were going through the book of Genesis in, in our services. And I, I would take every, every Sunday afternoon and I would read and I would just pour into Genesis. And I got, got to the end of it and so I kept going. And I'm reading Exodus for the first time. And when they got to the golden calf, I remember just being just so frustrated. How could they do this? I, if, if I was there, I was sure I would not have been so foolish as to turn away from the Lord. And then I remembered saying that exact sentence when I had read an earlier story. Is Adam and Eve are in the garden. You see, they have one rule to follow and they can't follow it. The people of God have ten and they can't follow them. The garden foreshadows the golden calf. And I realized that God had done something with those stories, that they informed one another, that they were important to one another, and it, it rocked my world, and it changed the way I read those books forever. The same thing is happening here between the Festival of Weeks and Pentecost. So Passover, the Festival of Weeks, they're connected. And then about 1,500 years later, God orchestrated the two events that are most significant to salvation history. And in so doing, he told us something important about what they mean. You see, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ are informed by Passover. The protection offered to God's people by anyone who would put the blood of the Lamb on their home. We understand the sacrifice of Jesus better because we understand it's connected to Passover. The Festival of Weeks is the same way. It foreshadows and it reminds us that Pentecost should always be a celebration. It should be a reminder, a time to joyfully celebrate the provision, the gifts, the abundant prosperity that the church has because of the generosity of our God. Because when the Lord blesses, his people celebrate. I want to jump to Acts chapter 2. You can follow along if you'd like to, or you can just listen. Acts chapter 2. We're going to read the first four verses. This incredible moment in salvation history, the moment when the Holy Spirit comes in and among God's people, it will never happen for the first time again. Acts 2, 1 to 4. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. I mean, just imagine being there. And... 
tongues of fire descend and rest on people. And they begin speaking in languages that they have never learned. Imagine the, the shock and the excitement and the surprise of it all. And then you know the story, right? Peter gets up because people are saying they must be drunk. They're babbling. And he says, they're not drunk. It's nine in the morning. It's one of the most practical statements Peter ever gives in the entirety of the Bible. They're not babbling. Something else is happening here. The Holy Spirit is coming, and its coming is a significant event. Its attention is being drawn to it because it is the greatest provision that God will give the church. And as the Holy Spirit comes to rest on all of those that belong to Jesus, a few things happen. We're adopted into God's family, and that adoption is absolute. We become sons and daughters of the King forgiven and his, destined to be with him for eternity, part of his body acting on earth. And then there's something else too. When the spirit comes, he gives gifts. He gives gifts. And sometimes those gifts are something that that person has never had before. Sometimes the spirit works in them to produce this ability, this talent, this, uh, this edification that can happen for the church through them by the power of God as the part of the body of Christ. Sometimes it's a talent the person already had, but it's transformed. It's given energy and an ability to be used to build up God's people, to build up the church. Instead of a person who, who may just be a natural encourager, when they receive the Holy Spirit, something happens and they, they gain an insight, a wisdom, an ability, a confidence to encourage other people in their walk with Christ, to encourage him about his them about his closeness, even in times of struggle. He takes a talent and he sets it on fire. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Now, we talked about how the Festival of Weeks was, was all about celebrating the first fruits. Paul goes back to that in Romans chapter 8, verse 23. He tells us that the Holy Spirit is the first fruits of something. Romans 8, 23. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of of our bodies. In other words, the Spirit coming to us is the first fruit of our belonging to the Lord. It's the first of the blessings, and it's a big one. But the blessings that come from being part of the body of Christ continue on. He will use us in His mission, in His plan to redeem a fallen world. He will protect us eternally. We cannot be taken from him. No matter what hardship or struggle befalls us, we are his, and that will play out forever. And more than that, that spirit comes and begins to change and transform us to make us more and more like him, a process that will continue forever as we become more and more like our Lord. The Spirit comes and shows the beginning of a process, a transformation that will last forever. It's amazing. 
And more than that, we know that we have these gifts that the Spirit gives us, not just for ourselves. It's not just for us to say, wow, I could be good at this encouraging thing if I decided to give it a try. But we have these gifts, we are blessed with them to be a blessing. We have the gifts to build up and edify the church. Are you gifted with service? You need to find a way to serve. Are you gifted with mercy? You need to find a way to show compassion to those who need it. Because God has given you that gift for a reason. Are you a natural leader? You need to find a way to use that gift among the community of God's people. He gave it to you for that purpose. But we're also reminded that it's not by our own work or effort that God accomplishes his task. Of course, we're called to participate. Of course, we're called to be part of it. But it is by the power and grace of the Lord that his work is done. We get to be part of it. We get to participate. But it is not our accomplishments. And so we have these spiritual gifts. And I want to talk about those for just a moment this morning. I want to tell you three things about spiritual gifts. I want to look at them a little bit differently. You see, each person does have spiritual gifts. I know someone who told me once that they don't have any spiritual gifts. I'm sorry you do. All of us have spiritual gifts. But we are part of a whole. We're all part of the body of Christ. And as each of us are individual members of that body, we are spiritual gifts to that body. And that's the first thing I want you to hear. You don't just have spiritual gifts. You are a gift to the body of Christ. You are a gift to the body of Christ. You are important to Calvary. You are important to the church as a whole. God has something specific in mind that he wants to accomplish through you. You matter. The second that I want to say about you being a spiritual gift is this. God doesn't give gifts on accident. You were given on purpose. A lot of the time, a person may, may feel about themselves that other people have important things to do. Other people have significant work or abilities to, to minister in the church. But not me. I'm sorry. Hear me. That's not true. You need, to, you need to know that. If you think lowly of yourself that you're the one that doesn't have a purpose here, it's not true. And if you think that it doesn't really matter if I don't commit because nothing's lost, that's not true either. God wants you active in his body. He gifted you to the church on purpose and for a purpose. And so whether it's through taking the spiritual gift inventories that we have downstairs, whether it's through speaking with someone who knows and loves you, coming to talk to Pastor Ben or myself, one of the other leaders in the church, it's important for you to find a way to plug into the ministry of the kingdom. Maybe that's within the ministries of Calvary. Maybe it's outside of what we're doing. Maybe there's a way to connect those two. Maybe it's about you being a blessing and a servant and a witness to every person that you work with. 
Maybe it's about you being a father or a mother or a husband or a wife who's called to model and imitate Christ and bring up a family honoring him. Almost certainly it's more than one thing. But you were given on purpose and for a purpose. And so this Pentecost, what I would like to challenge you to do is to do a check of your own heart and ask yourself, are you being used as part of the body of Christ? Is God at work through you? And if not, if you've resisted that, if you're holding back, if you're withdrawing from the body, let me encourage you to let that go, to plug in, to commit, because you have no idea of what the Holy Spirit wants to accomplish in and through and around you. You are a spiritual gift. You were given on purpose, and you were given for a purpose. Please pray with me. Father God, you are so good. We love you, and we praise you. And we ask you this morning to reveal to us those things that you want us to do. We know, Lord, that that nothing is accomplished by our might, but it is your desire and pleasure to use us as your body here on earth. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to take the place that you desire for us to take. Reveal to us our gifts, and reveal to us the opportunity to use them. Give us the courage we need when we're afraid. Give us the self-control we need when we don't know when to stop, when to start. Give us wisdom to discern what our place is in the body, where our service goes. And then, Lord, please give us eyes to see the way that you use us. Let us see the spiritual fruit that comes from the activities that you do in and through us. And let us see how we and those around us are being changed to become more like you. Pray all of this in your son's holy and precious name. Amen.